Chapter Seven of Isaac Bickerstaff. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Isaac Bickerstaff, Physician and Astrologer, by Richard Steele. Chapter Seven: The Dream of Fame. From my own apartment, October Fourteenth. There are two kinds of immortality: that which the soul really enjoys after this life and that imaginary existence by which men live in their fame and reputation the best and greatest actions have proceeded from the prospect of the one or the other of these but my design is to treat only of those who have chiefly proposed to themselves the latter as the principal reward of their labours it was for this reason that i excluded from my tables of fame all the great founders and votaries of religion and it is for this reason also that i am more than ordinarily anxious to do justice to the persons of whom i am now going to speak for since the fame was the only end in all their enterprises and studies a man cannot be too scrupulous in allotting them their due proportion of it it was this consideration which made me call the whole body of the learned to my assistance to many of whom i must own my obligations for the catalogues of illustrious persons which they have sent me in upon this occasion i yesterday employed the whole afternoon in comparing them with each other which made me so strong an impression upon my imagination that they broke my sleep for the first part of the following night and at length threw me into a very agreeable vision which i shall beg leave to describe in all its particulars i dreamed that i was conveyed into a wide and boundless plain which that was covered with prodigious multitudes of people which no man could number in the midst of it there stood a mountain with its head above the clouds the sides were extremely steep and of such a particular structure that no creature which was made, not made in a human figure could possibly ascend it on a sudden there was heard from the top of it like a sound like that of a trumpet but so exceeding sweet and harmonious that it filled the hearts of those who heard it with raptures and gave such high and delightful sensations as seemed to animate to raise human nature above itself this made me very much amazed to find so very few in that innumerable multitude who had ears fine enough to hear or relish this music with pleasure but my wonder abated them upon looking round me i saw most of them attentive to three sirens clothed like goddesses and distinguished by the names of sloth ignorance and pleasure they were seated on three rocks amidst a beautiful variety of groves meadows and rivulets that lay on the borders of the mountain while this base and groveling multitude of different nations ranks and ages were listening to these delusive deities those of a more erect aspect and exalted spirit separated themselves from the presest and marched in great bodies towards the mountain from whence they heard the sound which still grew sweeter the more they listened to it on a sudden methought the select band sprang forward with a resolution to climb the ascent and follow the call of that heavenly music 
every one took something with him that he thought might be of assistance to him in his march several had their swords drawn some carried rolls of paper in their hands some had compasses others quadrants others telescopes and others pencils some had laurels on their heads and others buskins on their legs in short there was a scarce any instrument of a mechanic art or liberal silence which was not made of use on this occasion my good demon who stood at my right hand during this course of the whole vision observing in me a burning desire to join that glorious company told me he highly approved that generous ardour with which i seemed transported but at the same time advised me to cover my face with a mask of all the while i was to labour on the ascent i took his counsel without inquiring into his reasons the whole body now broke into different parties and began to climb the precipice of ten thousand different paths several got into little alleys which did not reach far up the hill before they ended and led no further and i observed that most of the artisans which considerably diminished our number fell into these paths we left another considerable body of adventures behind us who thought they had discovered byways up the hill which proved so very interesting and perplexed that after having advanced in them a little they were quite lost among the several turns and windings and though they were as active as any in their motions they made but little progress in the ascent these as my guide informed me were men of subtle tempers and puzzled politics who would supply the place of real wisdom with cunning and artifice among those who were far advanced in their way there were some that by one false step and fell backward and lost more ground in a moment than they had gained for many hours or could be ever able to recover we were now advanced very high and observed that all the different paths which ran about the sides of the mountain began to meet in two great roads which insensibly gathered the whole multitude of travellers into two great bodies at a little distance from the entrance of each road there stood a hideous phantom that opposed our further passage one of these apparitions had its right hand filled with darts which he brandished in the face of all who came up that way crowds ran back at the appearance of it and cried out death the spectre that guarded the other row was envy she was not armed with weapons of destruction like the former but by dreadful hissings noises of reproach and a horrid distracted laughter she appeared more frightful than death itself insomuch that abundance of her company we discouraged from passing any further and some appeared ashamed of having come so far as for myself i must confess my heart shrunk within me at the sight of these ghastly appearances but on a sudden the voice of the trumpet came more full upon us so that we felt a new resolution reviving in us and in proportion as this resolution grew with the terrors before us seemed to vanish most of the company who had swords in their hands marched on with great spirit 
and an error of defiance upon the road that was commanded by death while others who had thought and contemplation in their looks went forward in more composed manner up the road possessed by envy the way above these operations grew smooth and uniform and was so delightful that the travellers went on with pleasure and in a little time arrived at the top of the mountain they here began to breathe a delicious kind of ether and saw all the fields about them covered with a kind of purple light that made them reflect with satisfaction on their past toils and diffused a secret joy through the whole assembly which showed itself in every look and feature in the midst of these happy fields there stood a palace of a very glorious structure it had four great folding doors that faced the four several quarters of the world on the top of it was enthroned the goddess of the mountain who smiled upon her votaries and sounded the silver trumpet which had called them up and cheered them in the passage to her palace they had now formed themselves into several divisions a band of historians talking taking their stations at each door according to the persons whom they were to introduce on a sudden the trumpet which had hitherto sounded only a march or a point of war now swelled all its notes into triumph and exultation these whole fabrics shook and the doors flew open the first who stepped forward was a beautiful and blooming hero and as i heard by the murmurs round me alexander the great he was conducted by a crowd of historians the person who immediately walked before him was the remarkable for the embroidered garment who not being well acquainted with the place was conducting him to the apartment appointed for the reception of fabulous heroes the name of this false guide was quintus curtius but Arrayan and plutarch who knew better the avenues of this palace conducted him into the great hall and placed him at the upper end of the first table my good demon that i thought see the whole ceremony conveyed me into a corner of this room where i might perceive all that passed without being seen myself the next who entered was a charming virgin leading in a vulnerable old man that was blind under his left arm she bore a harp and on her head a garland alexander who was well acquainted with homer stood up at his entrance and placed him on his right hand the virgin who it seems was one of the nine sisters that attended on the goddess of fame smiled with an ineffable grace at their meeting and retired julius caesar was now coming forward and though most of the historians offered their service to introduce him he left them at the door and would have no conductor but himself the next to advance was a man of homely but cheerful aspect and attended by persons of greater figure than any that appeared on this occasion plato was on his right hand and xenophon on his left he bowed to homer who sat by him it was expected that plato would himself have taken a place next to his master socrates but on a sudden there was a oh, heard a great clamour of disputants at the door 
who appeared with Aristotle at the head of them. That philosopher, with some rudeness, but great strength of reason, convinced the whole table that a title to the fifth place was his due, and took it accordingly. He had scarce sat down when the beautiful virgin that had introduced Homer brought in another, who hung back at the entrance, and would have excused himself had not his modesty been overcome by the invitation of all who sat at the table. His guide and behavior made me easily conclude it was Virgil. Cicero next appeared and took his place. He had inquired at the door for Lucius to introduce him, but not finding him there, he contended himself with the attendance of many other writers, who, all except Sallust, appeared highly pleased with the office. We waited some time in expectation of the next worthy, who came in with great retinue of historians, whose names I could not learn, most of them being natives of Carthage. The person thus conducted, who was Hannibal, seemed much disturbed, and could not forbear complaining to the board of the affronts he had made with among the Roman historians, who attempted, says he, to carry me into the subterraneous apartment, and perhaps would have done it, had it not been for the impartiality of this gentleman, pointing to Polly Bias, who was the only person except my own countrymen that was willing to conduct me hither. The Carthaginian took his seat, and Pompey entered, and with great dignity in his own person, and preceded by several historians. Lucan, the poet, was at the head of them, who, observing Homer and Virgil at the table, was going to sit himself, but had not the latter whispered him that whatever pretense he might otherwise have had, he fortified his claim to it by coming in as one of the historians. Lucan, who was so exasperated with the repulse that he muttered something to himself, and said to say that since he could not have a seat among them himself, he would bring in one who alone had more merit than their whole assembly, upon which he went to the door and brought in Cato of Utica. That great man approached the company with such an air that showed he would contend the honour which he laid a claim to. Observing the seat opposite to Caesar was vacant, he took possession of it, and spoke two or three smart sentences upon the nature of precedency, which, according to him, consisted not in place, but in instinct merit, to which he added, the most virtuous man, whatever he was seated, was always at the upper hand of the table. Socrates, who had, with a great spirit of raillery with his wisdom, could not forbear smiling at a virtue, which took so little pains to make itself agreeable. Cicero took the occasion to make a long discourse in praise of Cato, which he uttered with much vehemence. Caesar answered him with a great deal of seeing temper. But as I stood at a great distance from them, I was not able to hear one word of what they said, but I could not forbear taking notice that in all the discourse which passed at the table, a word or nod from Homer, 
decided the controversy. After a short pause, Augustus appeared, looking round him, with a serene and affable countenance upon all the writers of his age, who strove among themselves with of them should show him the greatest marks of gratitude and respect. Virgil rose from the table to meet him, and though he was an acceptable guest to all, he appeared more such to the learned than the military worthies. The next man astonished the whole table with his appearance. He was slow, solemn, and silent in his behavior, and wore a remnant curiosity wrought with hieroglyphics. As he came into the middle of the room, he threw back the skirt of it, and discovered a golden thigh. Socrates, at the sight of it, declared against keeping company with any who were not made of flesh and blood, and therefore desired Diogenes, the Latrian, to lead him to the apartment allotted for fabulous heroes and worthies of dubious existence. At his going out, he told them, what they did not know, whom they dismissed, that he was now Pythagoras, the first of philosophers, and that formerly he had been a very brave man at the siege of Troy. That may be true, said Socrates, but you forget that you have likewise been a very great harlot in your time. This excursion made way for Archimedes who came forward with a scheme of mathematical figures in his hand, among which I observed a cone and a cylinder. Seeing this full table full, I desired my guide, for variety, to lead me to the fabulous apartment, the roof of which was painted with gorgons, chimeras, and centaurs, with many other emblematical figures, which I wanted both time and skill to unriddle. The first table was almost full. At the upper end sat Hercules, leaning an arm upon his club. On the right hand were Achilles and Ulysses, and between them Aeneas, and on his left were Hector, Theseus, and Jason. The lower end had Orpheus, Aesop, Phalaris, and Musaeus. The ushers seemed at a loss for the twelfth man, when methought, to my great joy and surprise, I heard some at the lower end of the table mention Isaac Bickerstaff, but those of the upper end received it with disdain, and said, if they must have a British worthy, they would have Robin Hood. While I was transported with the honor that was done me, and burning with envy against my competitor, I was awakened by the noise of the cannon, which were then fired for the taking of Mons. I should have been very much troubled at being thrown out of so pleasing a vision on any other occasion, and thought it an agreeable change to have my thoughts diverted from the greatest among the dead and fabulous heroes to the most famous among the real and the living. End of chapter 7 Read by Elijah Fisher